Over the course of the last uh, number of months, we've reminded you to continue to be in prayer for uh, Pastor Oleg and Galina Sagan, minister in the eastern portion of Ukraine, and particularly have a ministry to um, refugees, those who are fleeing the country, excuse me, from eastern to western Ukraine. And I had the privilege uh, just this past week of meeting with uh, Pastor Oleg and Galena, and they came, they came home and expressly wanted to see me and uh, offered their thanks to the congregation for your faithfulness and prayer for them as they continue to minister. They will be returning to the Ukraine at the end of the month and will continue their journey and ministry. He speaks uh, clearly about the horrors of war and yet about God's uh, grace and provision through all of it. And his specific prayers are for the refugees who have fled having nothing and are dependent on someone else to provide for the basic staples of life, daily bread, if you would. He also prays or asks us to pray for safety and protection for uh, on at least one occasion bombs have fallen quite close to the church and on a regular basis, almost uh, weekly, if not daily, there are air raids that take place even in the western portion of Ukraine, where most of the battle and the action is in the eastern portion. So as we continue to pray for them, most importantly, pray for the opportunities that they have to present the gospel to people who have nothing, people who are in fear for their life, and people who are open to the truth that can, can set them free. So on behalf of Pastor Oleg and Galena, we want to pass on their thanks to you, and I want to encourage you to continue to pray for them as they minister in a, in a very difficult and dangerous part of the world today. I also want to bring you up to date on uh, Ken and Lisa Zuck and their ministry. Uh, Ken and Lisa have been our missionaries for a number of years, and they've spent 20 years in Russia or the surrounding area. And in the context of their ministry over those 20 years, they recently found themselves in the country of Georgia. And in that country of Georgia, they were ministering and coordinating some of the relief efforts in Ukraine, uh, maintaining the communications uh, in and throughout the Ukraine and uh, for the people of Ukraine. The most recent history is because of a, of a doctrinal change in SEND International, they felt that they could no longer, based on that doctrinal shift, continue to minister under the banner of Send International. So they met with their leadership, and then they met with regional leadership, and then they met with the leaders of Ascend International. And uh, because there was no way forward and no compromise to be had, uh, Ken and Lisa did the admirable thing, and they resigned their commission with SEND International because of that doctrinal shift. Now, they will be ministering with SEND through the end of this year, but over the next numbers of months be shifting and passing on uh, their very important responsibilities to other team members and making sure that there's no um, necessary lapse in, in the ministry there. Uh, Ken and Lisa are in the States presently. And they will be residing in our missions house over the next several months as they wrap up that ministry, because we felt it very important as our missionaries to, to make a safe and a soft landing place for them. This is not something they anticipated. They anticipated uh, serving out the rest of their missionary careers 
was sent, whether in Georgia or Russia or Ukraine or wherever God would have them. But they also understand that there is a time and a season for everything under the heaven. And they have made the choice, and they have resigned their commission. And at the end of this year, the end of December, they will no longer be serving under Send International. So I'd ask you that you'd be in prayer for them as they kind of reel with this change that was unexpected. And if you're familiar with their history, they went through an unexpected change just a few short years back when they fled Russia for, with, with their very lives at stake. So they've been through a lot. They sold everything when they left the, the country of Georgia. They're kind of starting over again. And uh, I know that they'd appreciate your prayers and uh, your encouragement. You will see them <clears throat> as they attend here and, and even minister among us in the coming months. But I also need you to pray for God's clear direction in their life for what's next. What is it that God would have them to do as He closes these other doors around the world? And most importantly, I'd ask that you'd be sensitive towards them and their situation and yet another change where they are giving up absolutely everything like they did just a few years back and returning to the state, states with, with absolutely nothing. Um, that is a missionary sacrifice. That is what it means to serve the Lord. And as they heal in this process, so we pray that First Baptist can be an important part of that, of that healing. If you would, please, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, we read of our union with Christ, our union in Christ. We read about the role that Christ has in our life. And in many ways, in John chapter 15, it reiterates some of the things that we have done today. It reiterates the importance of baptism and our public identity and identification with Christ. It will remind us of what Christ has done for us in purchasing us through His own blood on the cross of Calvary. And it will remind us that God has not called us or saved us to be freelancers or to go about and and make our own way through life and, and do it by ourselves. He's called us into His body. He has called us into union with Him. And He has connected us through His death burial and resurrection to every other believer, even these four young people who've made a profession of faith. We're connected in Christ, and that matters. It is a picture of union with Christ and a picture of uh, that union obedience that we're called to. And time and time again, in John chapter 15, he uses the term abide, and, and it's a picture, a reflection of that oneness and unity we have with Christ. And I suggest the oneness and unity that we have with each other. Verse 1 of John 15 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I had spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Stresses the importance of that union with Christ, that importance of our identity and staying close and 
and, and intimate with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He continues, if anyone does not abide in me, is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This verse has been abused by the prosperity gospel people. He's not saying anything that you want. He is at your beck and call. He is saying that He will perform His perfect will in your life as you are obedient, as you recognize your union, as you understand that without Him you can do nothing and, in fact, are nothing. And He says, as you abide in Me, as you call upon Me, as you live your life in union with Me, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." And in essence, in many ways, this passage also celebrates the body of Christ and the multitude of believers who are in union with Christ and each other. For in the very next verse in this passage of Scripture, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And he defines his friends as those who are obedient, those who abide in Him, those who make the most of their union with Christ. This goes beyond baptism. It goes beyond the Lord's Supper. It goes beyond church membership, but it always involves and entails a union with Christ, that divine invasion of the Holy Spirit, salvation that comes through His blood alone a willingness to trust Him and abide in Him, a reminder of the things that we read this morning, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the age of the earth. Here's the reality. You were never intended to do this alone. In fact, you can't. These young people this morning are just starting their journey and probably haven't quite realized that yet. Unfortunately, some of you gray hairs still haven't realized that yet, and I count myself in that illustrious company. Abide in me, for without me you can do nothing. That means we can't obey without Him. It means we can't produce fruit without Him. It means we can't serve without Him. It means we don't have life without Him but it does mean that in Him is life, and it's an abundant life, and He will be with us always, providing and giving us what we need, ministering to us. And then He has given us another particular gift in the context of, of life, and the gift that He gives us, wait for it, is each other. And you're thinking, how in the world is that a gift? I wonder that sometimes myself. It's a gift, because if we're going to abide in Him, we must abide in each other. We must recognize the barriers that divide us are no longer barriers, and that we are one in Jesus Christ, 
And there's not a single person here whose identity is first not in Christ. You can identify yourself after that, but your identity, your very person, your very nature, and your very life is in Christ. It is based on your union with Christ, and He will keep you, and no one will be able to pluck you out of His Father's hand. Did you know that you can't break this union? Do you know that you can't undo what Christ has done? Do you realize in His grace and His mercy, in spite of us, He will keep us? But He also commands us, if you, if you, if you abide in me. That is the mysterious union with Christ, and there are so many different facets to that. One of the clear facets is obedience to His commands, the very thing that these four young people this morning professed to you, the very thing that will be challenged by them and in them probably this afternoon. Are we going to keep His commandments? You can't without Him. It's impossible. But in Him, you can do anything. So we abide in Christ. And we acknowledge that He has gifted us each other because not only can we not do it without Him, He has intended us to do it together as His body in union. And critically important in a culture that is filled with alienation and isolation and loneliness. There are the powers that be in all manners of institutes and institutions that are driving a wedge in our culture today. They are alienating us. They are turning us against each other. Even in the COVID shutdown, so many people felt so disconnected and isolated and in such real and deep and meaningful ways that suicide went up and anxiety went up and depression went up. And did you know the generation hit hardest by that was young people? Did you know that? They're living in this kind of world, and that's why this message matters to them. They are in union with Christ. They don't have to do this alone. He will be there. He will help them. He will instruct them. But they also have us, faithful in our prayers, faithful in our example, faithful in our teaching, and faithful to them as they grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we really want to help people in our culture today, you have to tell them the truth. And the truth is this, for all of us, Without Him, you can do nothing. The truth is this. With Him, can you imagine, through the power of our King, what we're able to accomplish in the gospel? Do you understand that no matter what might come at you, I'm reminded of the words of Job, though He slay me, shall I not trust Him? What else do I have here? Do you understand that He will be with you always? He has you. He's got your back. He's going to look after you. And sometimes… He does that through His body. We are the hands and the feet of Christ. We are we're spokesmen, and we play an important role not only in the lives of these young people, but in the lives of everybody here today. But rhetoric is cheap. We can all say the right thing, or we can do the right thing. And I suggest to you that in this culture, doing the right thing is far better than saying the right things. Show me the money. Show these young people and each other what it means to abide in Christ. 
what it means to trust in Christ, what it means to be confident in Christ, what it means to keep the commandments of Christ. And then he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken, that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. Don't misunderstand that. That's not happiness. Happiness is situational and fleeting. This is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It is a joy in knowing that we are in union with Christ and no one can pluck us from our Father's hand. Everything's going to be okay. Now, you can imagine, as you juxtapose that against what we're dealing with in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we are looking at a man who is looking to everything but God for a sense of joy, for a sense of completion, for a sense of of quietness and and for a sense of of accomplishment and purpose and and answering the biggest questions of life. When we come to the book of Ecclesiastes in the second half of last week's message, I find it really interesting, and this is where we'll connect the dots here of John 15, verses 10 and 11, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He is going to tell us and He is going to remind us that we cannot do this alone. Because doing it alone brings loneliness. Doing it alone brings isolation, and doing it alone brings alienation. And remember, the Koheleth, the, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, set aside and, and his, his time and his energy and his talents to pursue life and make it work on his terms. And we just reminded you in John 15 that never works. Without him, you can do nothing. It never works if you don't abide in him. It never works if you're not obedient to him. And on and on and on. When we talked about this relationship, we introduced it last week with this quote. If you can live in this world in such a way that the person or people beside you, your friend, your spouse, your children, your brother, your sister, the people God has put in your path are your waking concern and your dominant focus, then you will find happiness. Interesting, that is exactly what the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to tell us in the coming verses as he deals with this reality of life. We introduced last week this this concept of moral proximity. This is critically, critically important in our life. It goes back to this quote, God places you in certain times and in certain situations and in certain places where the faces and the names of the people that you interact with are real. That is your mission field. For so long, the church has been distracted with faraway mission fields, and we could send our resources and then forget about it. But that was never the case. We cannot do this alone. We are all tied and in need of relationship. And if we truly want to find joy and contentment, under the sun, we must recognize that that is in serving others, loving others as we love ourselves, and fulfillment of that great commandment. That's the people around us. It begins in the home, in the family. It extends into that extended home. But I truly believe that in the context of life, that's where we come in, in the lives of these young people, but in the lives of the person sitting next to you today. 
we have a responsibility, a moral proximity. They are in front of us. They're with us. In flesh and blood, we see them, and we do life with them, and we must place them in a position where we're giving consideration to them. And when we don't do that and live life on our terms, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, everything under the sun is vanity and chasing after the wind. What a big waste of time. Huh. How about that? If you don't do it God's way, it leaves you with a handful of nothing. We go back to chapter 2 for that particular verse. A handful of nothing. So as we look at this relationship, I would tell you, and I shared with these young people this morning, it is a privilege for me to be in the baptismal tank with them and to baptize them. I will have that for the rest of my life. In many ways, that brings joy to me, where sometimes in ministry, joy is hard to come by. But it's a privilege and a blessing to hear their testimonies. A privilege and a blessing to have them stand in front of you. A privilege and a blessing to be able to speak into their life and do what God has made me to do in John 15. Not be so busy doing life like Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that I have no time for anybody. This is what it means to abide in Christ. We need Him. We need that union with Christ, but we need each other. We desperately need each other. But so many times we're out there rushing around in, in this manic busyness trying to meet everybody's needs that we miss the people right in front of us. And that's the real thing that Solomon is going to get to in the book of Ecclesiastes as he speaks of this moral proximity. Let me ask you a question. Who has God placed in front of you today? where you can live out this union with Christ, where you can minister to them, and where you can find joy in serving them. The four in the baptism were just four out of a large company of believers here. Who is it that God has placed there? In a church this size, this is so difficult. Some of you I never have personal interaction with. I go this way and you go that way. And it's a big church and and never the twain shall meet. And it's just the nature of the beast. Someone should know your name. And you should know someone's name because we're in this together. And our union with Christ has brought us to this place. It has brought us to this privilege of, of serving one another. And it has brought us to this awareness of the importance of community the importance of doing life together, the importance of being bound together, the importance of shared values and, and, and biblical commands, and most important, that, that shared concept of union with Christ. Ian Proven in his commentary on Ecclesiastes says, the world is therefore a miserable place for many people who live without anyone to comfort them with a real prospect of change in their circumstances. Solomon gets to this place in his life where he has done his life, and he's ran ahead of the crowd, and he's tried to figure it out, and he comes to the conclusion in chapter 2, therefore I hated life. He was never intended to do this without God. He was never intended to do this without other people. We're all called as believers into union with Christ which makes us uh, in, in, in a bond, in union with God's people, 
There's a payoff for that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7, he begins this section by saying, again, I saw vanity under the sun, uh, an emptiness, uh, a chasing after the wind, no, no payout or payoff. And here's why. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. When I focus all upon myself and reach all of my dreams and all of my goals and all of my ambitions, it still doesn't amount to what I was looking for. I forgot people. There was no one else in my life. There was no one else, either, either son or brother, even friend, that he was toiling for. And he never asked the question, of whom am I toiling or for whom am I toiling? Why am I even doing this? What is the point? It's unhappy business. It's because he misunderstood how he was created. He was designed for relationship. He was designed for a relationship first with God, and, and he was designed for a relationship, not isolation, not alienation, not loneliness, but designed for a relationship with the people around him. And he deprived him of that And it puts him juxtaposed against John chapter 15, who says that within this context of of union with Christ and union with the body of Christ, I find joy. As the writer of Ecclesiastes separated himself from all of that, he said, I find emptiness and vanity, and I hate my life. What am I doing? And whom am I serving? And the question begs the answer as you look at the text, he was serving himself, never giving any consideration to any other. So now he changes hats and the mistakes that he's made, and he teaches us two are better than one. I can't do this alone. I need somebody else. We're designed for this relationship. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. They help each other out. They serve each other. They assist each other. They, they give each other a hand. They're, they're, they're doing life together. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? As they were traveling through the countryside in that particular time in history, they would have this heavy outer garment, sometimes of wool, and that would be their, their bed for the evening, their, their cover or their comfort. If two were traveling together, they both would have these outer garments of wool, and, and they could cover themselves together, and, and there was value and principle in that. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Do you hear the, hear the change in the tone of the Kohelet? He says, I've been doing this all wrong. I've been doing it all by myself. I, I, I convinced myself I didn't need anybody. I didn't need God above the sun. All I needed was my stuff under the sun, and woe, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Here I am all alone. Remember what he lamented early on in the book? He was lamenting the fact that, that with his children, he might have to leave his inheritance, and he doesn't know if they'd be wise or fools. He didn't trust them with what he had to leave them. Now he's looking at the other side of the equation. But 
but I have all this stuff and I have no one to leave it to because I didn't, I didn't build into my life these relationships. I didn't tap into this resource. I, I tried to do this all by myself. There's reward and toil when we do it together. There's assistance when we fall, when we're with another. There's protection and a multitude, and a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. Relationships matter. Union with Christ matters. Your role in the lives of these young people and each other matters. But even in this context, we can't even do that well without Christ. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's where identity starts, in, in Christ alone. And that bond that we have with our Savior and each other, Solomon is saying, you know what, there's something to this. And he's reiterating in, in a certain way the importance of community and his own isolation and loneliness in life and the disappointment that that brought. So here's the end of the story. We have one of two paths to choose. We can either choose the path of union with Christ and each other and learn to serve others even more than self. We can choose this path in which we do it all by ourselves because we're tough. We don't need anybody else. We got this. Thank you, God. I'll call you if I need you. And you people, boy, you're just a burden. I'm just, I'm just dragging you. Be, I, I, don't, I don't need you. The consequences couldn't be more clear. For the one, there is joy. To the other, there's grave disappointment. And he hated life. No matter what, there's no remembrance of the former things, and soon we're going to be gone. And someone is going to come after us, and someone's going to assume our responsibilities. And he speaks of that as he finishes out this text. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. He's talking about himself. He's talking about a time in which he did not have all of the things that he used to have, but now he's acquired all of those things and he has become king. And because he's accomplished all of those things and become king and believed that he didn't need anybody else, he stopped taking advice. And he said, boy, I was better off when I was poor and listening to the wisdom of other people than I am today. See, the biggest jeopardy and the loss of community is not necessarily these children and young people today, but us gray hairs. Because we've done life, we played our role, and we're out. Someone else can take over now or become so confident in what we've accomplished that we no longer take advice from anybody because we are more wise than any that were before me in Jerusalem. You know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Did you know that? Knowledge is acquired, but wisdom gives you the ability to see how ignorant you really are. Wisdom allows you to see, I guess I didn't have this all figured out. And that's what the gray hairs can share with these young people. That's why we're still here and valuable, and I hope vibrant in the ministry of First Baptist Church. 
the king went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor, he had come from nothing. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with the youth that was to stand in the king's place. I am soon going to be gone from this place. Someone is going to take my place. What have I done to invest in that life? What, what, have, I, what have I done? What am I leaving? What is my legacy, if you would? Boy, that's a valid question. He says, there is no end of all of the people, all of whom he led. Constant demands on your schedule. Constant demands on your time. Constant needs before you. Needy people everywhere. How am I going to meet those needs? Moral proximity. Invest in the people closest to you. Minister to them. Understand that two are better than one. And in the mouth of babes, there's much wisdom. Do you know that there's gray hairs here? And again, I say that as a term of endearment. I'm one of them now. If you come up close afterwards, I have a lot of gray. You gave that to me. I can learn from them. I don't live in their world. They can teach me about their world, and I can teach them about what I've learned. And, and that's what life's all about. That's why we do this together. That's why community matters. There's no end of all of the people and all who we led. The demands are great. So I just want to encourage you to do the right thing. Do the right thing by these young people who came before you this morning. Do the right thing by way of the person sitting next to you. And that begins by abiding in Christ. That begins by using your gifts and abilities to serve that Christ. It begins by understanding that without that Christ, you can do nothing, and it extends to the obedient life that we live in front of these young people and hope in some way we have influenced them for the glory of God. No longer can we settle for the relative good. At least they didn't hurt anybody. Or seize the opportunity to invest in people because otherwise there is no joy to life. Remind you again, the summary of the book of Ecclesiastes. Do you notice how close this is to John chapter 15? The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good Or evil. Just like the Koheleth and Ecclesiastes. We'll get to the end of the road. We'll get to the end of the line. We'll have to ask the question so, what was the point of all that? Did I make a difference? Did it matter? I pray, I pray with all my heart that you choose the path to joy, union with Christ and union with each other serving others as much as you serve yourself, and finding that place of fulfillment and contentment in the plan of God until He comes. Nothing else. I charge you in the name of Christ to stand with these four young people and be amazed at what God will do 
in their lives. As we come to the communion table this morning, to wrap up our worship, I want to read to you what we began the service this morning with. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I had commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So how are you doing with that? How are you measuring that? How's that playing out in your life? Well, I suspect it is directly tied to your union with Christ. Directly tied with how much you understand without Him you can't do anything. Directly tied to recognizing that you have a responsibility to minister in moral proximity to those who are around you, and directly tied to your obedience to the commands of Christ. How funny. We were trying to encourage the young people this morning there's a whole lot of encouragement for us in that passage as well. What path will you choose? What a silly question when we understand what Christ has done for us. What a silly question. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And God sent His only begotten Son into this world to pay for your sin and for my sin. He paid the fullness of that penalty. He was put in a grave. He raised the third day according to the Scripture, and He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for the saints. He did that. Only He did that. May all glory be to Him, and may we truly learn to live out our union with Christ based on being reminded of what He's done for us. You want to talk about relationships? Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's union with Christ. That is the mistake of the Koheleth. That is the teaching of Scripture in both Old and New Testament. May we be faithful, choosing the right path every time for His glory. I'd like to ask Don Conover to ask the blessing on the bread. God, we thank you for this time where we can remember you, and we uh, thank you for the things that you've done for us. We pray also that we would remember that uh, we cannot do anything without you, and that with you we are a lot stronger. We thank you for the sacrifices that you made on the cross and the sacrifice of your body, and we pray that we would help us to uh, remember this every day. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.
In the same night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, blessed it and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Brian Seacrest, would you ask the blessing in the cup? <coughs> Dear Lord, we come before you today. We are thankful for the blood of your Son that cleanses us from all of our sin, that purchases our salvation, and cleanses us, provides a means of cleansing from day to day. I pray you'd help us to take advantage of that, the sacrifice, and that we would uh, join together in communion with you each day, with each other, and that we truly learn to fear you and to obey you through the blood of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. In the same manner also, when he had supped, Christ took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes. Early Father, until you come, Till we see our, our Savior face, face to face. Till you make the crooked straight. Until you make all the wrongs right. I pray that you would comfort us. This notion that you are with us until the end of the age. You will never leave us or forsake us. You are faithful always. Teach us to be faithful and to live out our union with Christ, living lives that matter for your glory alone and obedience to your commands and ministry to others. May we know your joy and may our joy be complete. Bless, Father, as we take up this benevolence offering picture of what we've spoken of this morning, ministering this moral proximity to those around us in need. May you bless each gift and giver. May you give us wisdom and discernment as we distribute these funds. But in the end, may you receive all of the praise and the honor and the glory, for without you we can do nothing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.